First, welcome aboard, and secondly, you may not know that everything that we do in this particular church is centered on the Word of God, found in the Old and New Testaments of uh, the Holy Scriptures. You might also not know that uh, in the pews there are those paperback Bibles, and those are yours. They're our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, or even if you've been part of the church for a long time and say, man, I just need to get a hold of a Bible and start reading it again, there's one right there. Now, if you're more comfortable with digital devices... Now, Pastor Keith and I have found that the Bible that we prefer the best on our uh, phones or tablets or whatever is a version called YouVersion, Y-O-U, you, you know, just YouVersion.com. It's a free download. It's a free app. Uh, it's got lots of different uh, versions and notes and stuff like that, and you can get into a community of study on there if you'd like, and so we encourage you to uh, take that. I say all of that to lead you to this, which is the actual understanding and, and diving into and the consuming of our scripture this morning. Pastor Keith is going to preach today on our mission statement. Uh, the mission of the church is the making of disciples uh, of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And it finds, of course, its home in the very Word of God. And so our first scripture this morning comes from the 16th chapter of Matthew, and it includes an important interchange with Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do, you say, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter asked, answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of, of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And standing right beside that text is a text known as the Great Commission. The commission that Jesus gives all of us in Matthew 28. <clears throat> it goes like this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but, but, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Everybody doing okay? Good to have worship and come together. Well, we are in the midst of a 12-year sermon series on the mission of the church. 12 years. Last week at 945, Pastor Mike said that. He said 12, and everybody, you know, half the people in the church went like this. Half the people went like this. And, and you know, he might have misspoken a little bit in terms of our plan for this particular sermon series, but the truth is he was dead on, you know, in terms of why we need to talk and how often we need to talk about our mission as a church, because if, if, if a mission statement just becomes something that's this cute little thing you put on your wall and bring down off the shelf and dust off once every couple of years to talk about, you know, that's great, but that's not really our plan, is it, Pastor Mike? We, we've been We've been tasked by our Healthy Church Initiative prescription. The first prescription, by the way, um, was that we as a church 
own our mission statement a little bit more and own our mission a little bit more. So that's why we've, we're bringing this to you, and we're going to take 12 weeks to talk about it really in depth, but then we're going to take the rest of our lives to live it out and keep pounding on it. So it's a journey that we're going to be on together. Well, my part in this journey, you know, as you see, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I'm going to begin by, by talking about the idea of what is the church in the first place. What is the church? If, if, if you were to, to ask 100 people walking around downtown Marion just randomly, what's the church? I bet you most of them, if not all, are going to probably point right over here to our church or maybe to uh, the Presbyterian church over here and say, well, that's the church. They're going to point to a building because that's what most people associate with the word church. It's a building. It's a place where you go to worship God on Sundays. And if you're one of those Jesus freaks, you might go there one other time during the week too, right? So, so that's what most of us think when we think about church. And, and, and indeed, it's, it's important to understand what a, what a building is, obviously. But, you know, I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. He's retired now. But one, one of the houses that we lived in uh, when we were pastoring in Des Moines, the, some brilliant trustee had a bright idea to put the church sign in our front yard, okay, of our house. So, you know, imagine the scene. You're 11 years old. You're in your Spider-Man underoos at the, at the uh, kitchen table on a Sunday morning eating your Cheerios, and in comes Mabel in your front door with her, where's church, you know? I don't know who screamed louder, me or her, but the, the fact is, that's what we think about when we think about church. It's, it's a building, it's a place, but as I grew up and began to to read the Bible more myself, I, I, I read that text that Pastor Mike read earlier from Matthew 16, where Jesus uses the word church for the very first time. That's the first time that the word church appears in the Bible. And, and I was curious about that because I remember thinking, wait a second, I know Jesus was a carpenter, but did what Jesus mean when he said, upon you, Simon, I will build my church and the gates of, of hell shall not stand against it? That, that kind of threw me because was Simon going to lay down on the ground and Jesus put some two-by-fours on him and, and build a building? So clearly, Jesus meant something other than a building, didn't he? So let's look for a moment about where this comes from, this idea that church is a building. Now, the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples had to do with who he was. Jesus certainly wasn't the first person to show up and, and preach and teach and have some religious ideas. So when he came on the scene, you know, he stirred things up and some people paid a little bit of attention to him and some people paid a lot of attention to him. So he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And their response, some say you're Jeremiah, Elijah, John, the, or one of the prophets, John the Baptist, whatever, you know, just another person or, or a reincarnated version of some of these prophets. And Jesus looked at Peter and the rest of the disciples and said, but who do you say that I am? And of course, we have this statement that we heard earlier, Simon Peter or Simon at the time, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus responds with a, a declaration and also a prediction. His declaration was this. Simon, what you have just said did not come to you from some human being. Rather, it came to you from God himself. And upon, that's the declaration. And then he gave a prediction. He said, and upon this declaration of who Jesus was, I will build my church and the, gate of, the gates of hell shall not stand against it. So Jesus makes this statement about this church and he changes Peter's name 
to, or changes Simon's name to Peter, which literally means rock, or it's a, it's a, it's a feminine translation. It means little stone. So, and then he says to Peter, upon you, upon this little stone, upon your, your statement about who I am, I will build my church. Now, the word church, uh, as, as we get to it, 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 means, it means something completely different than what many of us might think. And I'm going to say to you this morning that when we say, what is the church, there's going to be three things I'm going to say the church is. The first thing is this. It's the gathering of the people of God. The gathering together of the people of God. The word church from the, from the New Testament, it comes from the Greek translated word ecclesia, which means simply a gathering or assembly of people for a specific purpose. That's what that word literally means. Now, that word doesn't have any inherent religious connotation to it. It was a word that was used to describe all types of different gatherings. You could have an ecclesia of people together to watch the football game at your house this afternoon, or an ecclesia of people to play cards, or, or whatever it might be. There was nothing in, inherently religious or theological about it. So what Jesus is basically saying when he says, Upon you, Simon, I will build my church, he's saying basically this, I will build my own assembly of people, and the foundation of it will be the right understanding of who I am. I will build an assembly of people, and the foundation of that assembly is knowing who I am. So that's what Jesus meant. He certainly, certainly didn't mean I'm going to build a big building with stained glass windows and a, and a steeple and a bell or whatever it might be, and it's going to be the most awesome building and the gates of hell will never prevail against this building. It's going to be the most beautiful building ever. Certainly not what Jesus means. That's not what that word means. So, why then don't our English translations just simply read gathering instead of church? Well, in a nutshell, here's what happened. I'm going to give you a little history lesson in about two or three minutes here. Try to stay with me, okay? For the first 300 years or so of Christianity, it was illegal to do what we're all doing here together. It was illegal to gather together because the Romans had a state religion, which was basically that Caesar was Lord, and they allowed any other religion to take place that would defer to Caesar being Lord. So there were pagan religions that were, that were uh, worshiping together, but all of them would, sub, would be subservient to the idea that the Roman emperor, Caesar, was the man. Now, of course, Jesus Christ's church wasn't anything near that. So the Romans would, would go around, they would greet each other by saying things like, Caesar is Lord. And if a Christian were to say, Jesus is Lord, then the Romans could haul you off into prison and have you killed or persecuted, you know, very severely. So to gather together in Jesus' name, to worship Jesus, the one true Lord, was certainly illegal for the first 300 years. So what you had was a, a, a grassroots gathering of people who came together around this understanding of the person of Jesus, and they had at their core this, uh, this, this belief in him. And they would gather in, in homes or in caves or in different places and locations, but, but really the emphasis was never on, on where. It was on the group of people. Well, this all changed in about the year 300 when a man named Constantine became the emperor of Rome. Have you guys ever heard of Constantine? Okay, if you've read any of Dan Brown's novels, you've probably read all about Constantine, or if you've ever seen anything on the History Channel. Very important guy in history, because Constantine was the Roman emperor who declared that it was now no longer illegal to be a Christian. So he, 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 he ended the, the, uh, the criminal status of Christians. 
And I think it was called the Edict of Milan, if I'm, if I'm remembering back to my church history class. And, and he, he issued this edict, and he said that now you can worship in public. So what began to happen was people started coming out of, the, of hiding, and, and then you'd have some other people who would come together that maybe were used to worshiping in pagan temples, and they'd come and join Christians. Well, then a crazier thing happened. Constantine himself became a Christian. So when he became a Christian, now it was like, wow, cool. Well, then after Constantine, eventually Christianity was declared to be the official religion of the Roman Empire. It became the state religion. It replaced everything else to now, just as it was, you had to be a, a, someone who claimed that Caesar was Lord, now you had to be a Christian. So if you wanted to be part of the Roman Empire, citizen of Rome, you had to be a baptized Christian in the church. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Well, you might think, wow, praise the Lord, right? A big victory for Jesus. He was right. But if you look at what this did to Christianity, you might think differently. Because what happened was the early Christians had to sacrifice and had to, to, to have great faith in order to practice their faith. But this new group of people, you know, now it was the cool, powerful thing to do. And you had all these former pagans joining the church. So what they did was they took their pagan temples and they turned them into Christian churches. And I've been to Rome, and I've been in some of these churches where you walk in, and they, they explain to you, oh, this was a, a pagan temple to this god or this goddess. But then it became a, 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 Christian, a Christian church. So they also began to, to localize and centralize, and they began to construct cathedrals and buildings. And, and, and the, the, the Latin word for the assembly together building, centralized location, is the word basilica. You've heard that word probably before. Well, the German translation of the word, and of course, when our, our modern English translations, they, they, they can trace back to the German translation first. The, the word basilica, the German translation is the word kircha, which means public building, official meeting place. That's the word kircha, which our word, our English word church, is a derivative of. So our English translations, I would say, sort of missed the mark on this because instead of translating from, from kircha to church, they trans, instead of going from Ecclesia, they, they, they go to church. So you see what I'm saying, how, how this has a big ramification. You might say, well, that was incredibly boring, but it makes a big difference, and here's why. Because the two words mean two completely different things, and if you don't understand the difference, then you're going to get lost. Because I would say this, even in 21st century American Christianity especially, you just, there's some things you just can't unlearn, right? See, we've had 500 years of Protestant Reformation trying to take the Bible and bring it back to the people and, and get it back to what it was supposed to be because the, as soon as the church became institutionalized and, and power and military force began the reason to, con, to, to convert the world, the church lost any resemblance to what it was originally supposed to be. You see, the church wanted to transform the world, but they chose to transform the world through, through laws and through military force. That's why you have things in the Middle Ages like the, the Inquisition and you have the, the Crusades. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. And he gave his church a mission to transform the world. But the way that Jesus wants his church to transform the world is not by dragging people into a building or by wielding authority and power and military force, but rather by the correct understanding of who Jesus is. That was his original purpose. But yet, how easy do we, even today, slide back into this mentality of what is church, right? It's a building. It's where we go. How easy 
do we become like the Romans who, who took all the powerful things about culture and brought them into their Christian worship and smashed it all together and created something? We do the same thing. It's difficult. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all just abandon our buildings. But what I am suggesting is that we understand our mission and we recognize that the mission has very little to do with a building and Jesus never said he had come to build a building. Now, we need buildings to worship in, and we need buildings to, to, to move through, but it's interesting. We, we have a building that we're working on right now. One of the things that has been tasked to the building committee for this new building is they, people say, well, we want to make it look like a church. And our response to that is, well, show up, and it will. Because a church looks like a bunch of people gathered together who worship Jesus Christ, who understand rightly who he is. It's very important that we understand the difference because when we talk about this mission, we have to recognize who we are. So simply put, the church is the assembly of people who worship Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Some of you are going, why didn't you just say that in the beginning? Because <laughs> I worked really hard on this sermon last week. No. <laughs> because, because it's important that you understand it. It's important that we get why we are the way we are. And the only way we realize it is to look backward, right? And to say, how did this happen? Are we a group of people gathered together with the foundational understanding of who Jesus Christ is? Or are we a building where people show up and just hang out? See, a church has nothing to do with these exterior things unless they completely fit in with the interior purpose of our hearts, which is to worship Jesus. Because the church is people, people on a mission. And as Pastor Mike said last week, the mission is not something dreamed up by a bunch of human beings at a planning meeting with newsprint and a, and a book. The church and the mission of the church was dreamed up by God. The church belongs to God. Notice Jesus says, I will build my church. It's his church for his mission. Our mission statement is not ours. The church doesn't have a mission statement that we ask God to bless. What would be more accurate to say is that God's mission has a church to accomplish it. So our mission to make disciples for the transforming of the world comes directly from Matthew 18, which Mike read earlier, where Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. Transform the world by showing people who I am. Not by, by making them nicer people or more moral people necessarily, but by showing them who I am, because if people know who I am, that'll transform their life inside and out. It's when people don't understand who Jesus is that they can go to church, a building, or whatever, and, and year after year, and not be transformed. So you can come and sit in a building called a church all your life, but if you haven't found out who Jesus Christ is, then you've never joined the church. You may be on a membership database someplace, you may have your name on a list somewhere, but do you think God really cares about that? Jesus isn't trying to build Methodist churches or Presbyterian churches or Catholic churches. He's trying to build his church. And by his grace, we are a part of it. Because we know who he is. And we believe he is who he said he is. And because of that, we have this mission. Because of that, our command is to make disciples for the transformation of the world. This was a clear command given to Jesus, or given by Jesus to his followers, and what came next in history was a movement that nothing has been able to stop. And you and I are a part of that today. So simply put, the church is first and foremost the gathering together of people 
to worship Jesus based on the foundation of who he is, the church is also, according to the scriptures, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Furthermore, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am fulfilling what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He was referring to the fact that, that he is filling up in his body all the suffering that must occur to spread the message of the gospel. Because Christ didn't do all that in his death. He, he paid for our sins, but then he tasked us with going out and spreading the gospel. So Paul says, I fill up, I rejoice in this, that I can do the mission that God has given to me. And yeah, it's going to cause suffering sometimes, but I rejoice in that because it's the body of Christ. Simply it means that we are Jesus' hands and feet in this world. We are his physical presence here on this planet. We are him. We are his embodiment here. And whatever we do to one another, then we do to Christ. When we serve one another, Jesus says, you serve me. When we fail to serve one another, we fail to serve him. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, speaking of the church, you do unto me. We are his body. We're his work in the world. This mission is given to us because that's how he's chosen to accomplish it. I heard a sermon one time where the pastor said that, that God looked at all the pain and suffering in the world and his response, his loving response was to send the church on its mission. So we are his body. The next one is, is, is this. We are the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, this is kind of strange. I mean, imagine you haven't seen that scripture verse yet, but if you were to go around and ask a bunch of Christian people, what's the pillar and foundation of the truth? I bet you most people would say the Bible, wouldn't they? they say, well, the Bible is the pillar and foundation of the truth. But did you know what the Bible says the pillar and foundation of the truth is? It says it's the church. Now check this out. Paul, Paul writes to young Timothy, he says, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. You see, believe it or not, the Bible didn't just drop out of the sky one day and hit, you know, St. Augustine on the head or something like that. This isn't Mormonism. We don't believe that God just, an angel appeared and gave someone a Bible and then they looked at it and then they, then they destroyed it and no one ever saw it. We, we, we know from history and we believe by our faith that God inspired human beings to write the scriptures and then as those words were distributed among its people, God inspired a group of people in the church to collect those writings and bring them together and say, yes, we affirm this is our canon of scripture. That came through the church. The Bible is a product of God, yes, but it is also a product of God's church, God's gathering together. It is a book that, that belongs to all of us, a collection of books that come to us because God inspired people in the church to bring it forth. You see, church needs to be about truth because we have the foundation of it. We are built on the foundation of it. Church is about truth. So where there is church, there must be truth or I don't think it's church anymore. You see, church is a place where you need to come to hear truth. Now, is that always fun and easy? I'll tell you what, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's offensive. Sometimes it's hard to hear truth, isn't it? You know, sometimes I, I read the Bible and I'm offended by what I read because I recognize, wow, Keith has some work to do. Keith has some changing to do. Keith has some repentance to do. 
because I'm a work in progress. I'm not arrived in, in perfection. I'm not, I'm not there. God's still working on me. And it's when I read that, that God comes face to face with me. And then just like me, you all, as you read and as you hear, have a choice to make too. Am I going to embrace this truth and turn from my sin and repent? Or am I going to just balk at the truth and say, I don't want to hear that. That's offensive. Find me a church that will just tell me what I want to hear. See, the church needs to be about truth first and foremost, or it's no longer the church anymore. Now, I know what some people are thinking. Well, what makes you so smart? How do you know what the truth is? Aren't there 50 billion churches out there that all preach and teach different things? You know, I don't know about all that. I know we have differences on this and that and, and, and all that kind of stuff, and I don't certainly claim to, and I know Pastor Mike doesn't certainly claim to have it all figured out and know everything perfectly. That's why we tell you, search the scriptures for yourself. See if what we say is right. But I know this, that all churches together should proclaim as their foundation the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's what binds us all together. It's not about Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, or whatever. Jesus said, I pray that you'd all become one. Not necessarily one in style or one in emphasis, but one in understanding the foundation and who he is. So the church is the gathering of God's people the body of Christ, and the pillar and foundation of truth. We need to bring truth to this world, for indeed, that's what will transform the world. Slick tricks and, and cool you know, stuff in churches is great, but it's not going to transform the world. What will transform the world is one thing and one thing only, the truth about who Jesus Christ is. That is what will transform the world, and that's what will transform your heart. See, ultimately, you've got to remember, it starts with your heart. And if you haven't been transformed by that truth, then I would invite you to be, to be in that place today. So why should you care, right? All this stuff, right? Is it really applicable to your life? I think it is. I think it's incredibly applicable. First and foremost, understanding your place in the church is critical because you gotta know that it's not something that you go to, it's something that you belong to. Stop thinking about church so much in terms of location and more as family. I love it when I talk to someone and I say, oh, where do you go to church? And they correct me and they say, well, we belong to First United Methodist Church. Or we belong to First Presbyterian Church. I indeed, there's a difference between going and belonging, isn't there? And I'll have you know this. I'm not trying to make members of First United Methodist Church. If you want to be a member of this church, praise God. But membership in Jesus' church is, is, is what we really are concerned with. Secondly, Recognizing your place in the story of what God is doing gives your life meaning. Gives your life meaning. You see, when you recognize that Jesus' command to his disciples was his command to you, when his mission for them is his mission for us, boy, doesn't that make what we do really important? Doesn't that make Sunday morning worth getting up for? When you recognize that, wow, I am part of this this movement of God that has existed for over 2,000 years that Jesus Christ has instituted and Jesus Christ has come alongside and I get to participate in that, me? I get to be a part of that? That is incredibly powerful. That, that my life would be accounted among that. It gives me great meaning in my life. And thirdly, when frustration and disenchantments come, hope is found in the promise of Jesus. Hey, you know what? Just like families, people in churches sometimes don't get along, right? Some, sometimes we get frustrated with each other. Sometimes we, we get bent out of shape about something. 
you know, and some people have a tendency when they see something they don't like, they just go, that's it, I'm out of here, I'm, I'm whatever, and you know, like Mike said last week, people de-church themselves, right? Because for them, church is about their personal preference. And if you do something that goes against my personal preference, then I'm not going to be here anymore. You know, it's kind of like a country club or something like that. You know, you put the wrong color doily on the table, I'm out of here, man. You see, sometimes it can get easy to get disenchanted when you look at the, the church and you look at, at different things that go on and you realize, wow, you know, we've got a long way to go. But boy, isn't it awesome to know that we have hope in the promise that Jesus Christ has said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church because I will build it, he said. He's not counting on us to build his church. Thank God. He's going to build his church. We are just along for the ride. We are the vessels. We are participants in that, and we submit to his power. He works through us, but it's not about us. That's for sure. So if you've been disenchanted with church, if you've sort of de-churched yourself and it's like, ah, oh, that's not for me, that's not for me, you know, recognize this. Jesus has promised that if you're a part of, of this gathering together of believers that, that love God, that nothing can stop it. <clears throat> nothing will stop his mission. Look at all the things that have tried over the years. Look at all the times where, where governments or armies or, or others have tried to stamp out Christianity and destroy it and how they failed miserably because God's will will be done. Nothing can stop it. And if we are a part of him, then nothing can stop us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Lord, help our minds to be conformed, Lord, to the idea that church is about people gathering together who base their lives on the foundational truth of who you are, Lord. Show us our mission, Lord, that it comes from you and that God, as we're faithful to you, that you will be faithful through us to accomplish that mission in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.